Welcome to Reading the Room, a literary podcast featuring author interviews and discussions with bookish content creators. I am your host, Jalen, also known as The Bar in the Bookcase on YouTube. Today I am joined by Catherine Lacey, author of Biography of X, available now from FSG. Catherine is one of my all-time favorite writers. Over the summer, I was quite lacy-pilled, and I was able to get my hands on a galley of this book. It completely enraptured me and honestly blew my mind with its genius, at once from its prose and its scope. I had my fingers crossed while reaching out to her that I could make this episode happen, and I'm beyond stoked and honored to have Lacey on the pod today. Biography of X is about a woman named X, an iconoclastic artist, writer, and polarizing shapeshifter, who falls dead in her office. Her widow, wild with grief and refusing everyone's good advice, hurls herself into writing a biography of the woman she deified. Though X is recognized as a crucial creative force of her era, she kept a tight grip on her life story. Not even CM, her wife, knew where X had been born, and in her quest to find out, she opens a Pandora's box of secrets, betrayals, and destruction. All the while, she immerses herself in the history of the Southern Territory, a fascist theocracy that split from the rest of the country after World War II, as it is finally, in the present day, forced into an uneasy reunification. When she finally understands the scope of X's defining artistic project, CM realizes that her wife's deceptions were far crueler than she imagined. If you'd like to support Reading the Room, I now have a Patreon. Joining the Patreon gives you access to a monthly bonus episode of the podcast, which are chats with friends about literary discourse or other bookish topics. March's episode, coming soon, is all about book talk, the good and the bad, and I'll be joined by frequent friend of the pod, CJ, from the channel CJ Reads. Also, you can receive access to my book club. I select a book each month, and you can join me near the end of every month on Zoom to discuss it with other Patreon members. For March, we're reading The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis, and in April, we're reading Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. If you miss it or cannot join, the book club recording will be uploaded to my YouTube channel so you never miss out. Reading the Room is an independent podcast, so every member contributes to making this the best literary podcast it can possibly be. Thank you to all who have joined so far, and I look forward to meeting more of you at patreon.com slash reading the room, also linked in the episode notes. Now let's get into the discussion with Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I have many, many, many questions about Biography of X. I must say, I think it's your objectively probably most ambitious work, and it's also my favorite. There are so many huge questions that are being presented in this book. And I wanted to start by those questions that you've posed on your website. Your website's very cool. I love it. Um, <laughs> but also for each book, you've raised some sort of philosophical questions that are associated with each book. And so for this one, it is, is it possible to escape history? Must we live our entire lives within a single life? And can we change the future by reimagining the past? And I think those are perfectly, you know, explored here. But also I wanted to ask you about an interview that I listened to with you and Max Porter, I think from around when Pew was published. And you mentioned this idea that I thought was so interesting. You were talking about how you and him are fiction writers and not philosophers. And so narrative and the books that you write give you an easier way of following a story to explore those philosophical questions rather than tackling with them very directly. And so I wanted to ask you generally about that idea about philosophy and exploring them in your novels and how you kind of get to those questions when you start writing i think it's like it it comes naturally out of whatever you're interested in it's not like i i mean i don't i can't really point to specific moments where like i begin a book you know so i'm just always writing and then every once in a while there'll be like enough of something that i feel like okay maybe this one will float and we can like follow it somewhere and then like from the process of doing that then other questions come up it's not like at the beginning of a book or something like I'm setting out with like a specific goal or like, uh, you know, I have some sort of philosophical question that I'm trying to answer in narrative. It's more like these little bits of narrative come up and I just like trust them because I feel like if they're meaningful to me and I don't know why yet, then like the process of trying to figure out why this piece of narrative is interesting to me 
or feels like it happened. Like I often feel that way with like writing fiction when it really starts to work is that I'm writing something that objectively did not happen. And I know it's not, I don't really like write direct autobiography, although like I'm comfortable with like the pieces of autobiography that are in there, but I'm writing something and then it, and, and then even though it's full of details and situations and people and places I have no direct relationship to, I feel like it happened to me and it feels really personal. And when I hit that nerve that I know that there's like, there's something underneath it that's probably is like a, like a more philosophical concept or question that I'm actually trying to answer in my real life. And then it's sort of through the, the narrative and the whatever's right underneath it are kind of in this sort of, I don't know, I'm like thinking like 14 different metaphors in my head, but it's almost like one thing is like, almost like a gopher that's going like underneath the ground, like has a little tunnel. And then there's like somebody walking on top and they're like aware of each other's presence, but like neither one is really controlling the other. And I mean, as applied to this book in particular, I mean, as you, as a reader kind of goes along the story, it initially, you know, starts as this conceit of being, you know, a, a widow trying to think about her deceased wife and trying to think about a corrective biography of her. But then also what's really interesting about this book too, is the altered history that you present with the Southern territory for this book. Did one come before the other or were they kind of a blend for you? Yeah, I really wanted to write a bag, like a real biography. Like I've all, I've always, I studied nonfiction. I went to, uh, I got an MFA in nonfiction and I wanted to write profiles and I wanted to write long form journalism and things like this. And so like, that was my basis. And so at a certain point, even after I wrote my first novel, I was still like, I still wanted to do all this other stuff. And, and so I had an idea for a biography and I contacted a teacher of mine, a former teacher of mine. And she was basically like, here are a million reasons why you shouldn't pursue this biography idea. It's going to ruin your life, blah, blah, blah. And so then like, I, it, but it just like got under my skin. And so I was like, well, I guess I could write a fictional biography. And then that appealed a lot just because I really like the form of biography. Like I like reading them, but I knew that I wasn't really ready to like do a proper one, I guess. But then I really like contaminated biographies, like biographies that are by the wrong person. Like you're not the right person to write this book or you have clearly like an idea of of who this person was or or like is culturally and that kind of interrupts the the book in 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 some way and so then i thought well like fictionally who would be the worst person to write a biography of somebody that was dead and then i was like well somebody probably that had too much information or different kinds of information about them which would be like a, a partner family member or something like this and then so then i was like okay well i like the idea of somebody writing a biography of their deceased spouse but then if it was a heterosexual relationship, then I didn't want like a woman writing about some great man that she was with. I just like, it, just that I had like kind of a knee jerk reaction to that. And I didn't want there to be a man who was getting to have like the final say on like some woman's life that also felt really loaded. And so I was like, okay, it has to be a lesbian relationship. And then I was like, but I don't want to have to like write about a lesbian relationship in the 20th century, let's say, because then there's just all this shit that I just wish hadn't been. And if I'm going to be, if I get to be a fiction writer about it, then I just get to be like, well, we didn't have to wait for the 21st century for like marriage equality. So in my like, and so like that, then it like, basically I cornered myself because I knew I wanted to write about these two women, one sort of telling the story of the other. And I didn't want them to have to be like, oh, and also here's all the problems we had because we were lesbians. I just didn't want them to have any of those problems. I didn't want to do it. And I didn't think of setting it anywhere other than America because I don't feel like I, I have an understanding of any other country well enough to like even do that. So then I just rewrote American history. And I, I really like thought about it from 
from like the late 19th century because it seemed to me like that was a there were several different moments in in American history then that I feel like we could have gone this country could have been totally different and I was reading a lot of history I was at one point I lived in Berlin for a few months and I was reading about like that the the Berlin Wall and and East and West Germany and East and West Berlin and how that all came to be and like stories from that that era and then also I was really interested in North and South Korea I just needed I needed a, a different America to have the relationship that I wanted to depict and so that it it was all it, I often do this it'll be like one thing that I'm really attached to it has to be this way and so then I have to go back and like reverse engineer some sort of situation that makes it possible for whatever detail to be that way. So that was how they came. I want to ask you about Pew in this book and whether you think or it's a potential interpretation that Pew is from the Southern Territory, um, because I kind of thought about that when I was reading that it, there was some similar vibes going on in terms of in terms of Pew and its setting and then the Southern Territory sections of this book. Um, does that resonate with you at all? Or am I reaching? <laughs> oh, I like that idea. I mean, I was writing them. I started I started Pew and I was like clear about that being a book and I was sort of nascently building the like mentally building the world that this book happens in like at the same time definitely at the same time and it, there were times where I was working actively on both of them as novels um towards the end of when I was working on Pew but um yeah I like that as an idea it definitely seems like Pew takes place inside of a southern territory like place I mean it that, that for me Pew takes place within the south in the American South and clearly the Southern territory is like a very exaggerated version of the American South. Um, I mean, in some ways, like the kind of fable quality of Pew looks like hyper-realistic compared to like the Southern territory. But I like that idea. They're definitely related. They're definitely like, they're definitely related. And I also like started both of them while I was living, or I was at the beginning of writing both of them while I was living in Mississippi. Cause I taught, I taught at the university of Mississippi for, um, a year. That also makes you think about the titles of your books too. And there's a section in this book about titles or a passage where I think it's X who says titles are often a lie. Um, and perhaps that's what all books are, the end of someone's trouble, someone putting their trouble into a pleasing order so that someone else will look at it, which I love. Um, but I also then thought about your titles. The answers, I think arguably could also be titled like the questions. Um, Pew, yeah. it's not, with Pew, it's not really clear that it's about a person until you read it. Um, and then biography of X, I mean, one way of reading it is almost like CM's account of her own reckoning with grief rather than it being, it does have the biography in it, but it's also doing many things on that front. So I wanted to ask you about your titles and how you land on them, like when you know it's the right one. I think I don't, I think you just give up. I didn't have a title for my first book until I was done with it. And I didn't know what to title it. I had actually, I had a, I had just like a boatload of really stupid titles and none of them seemed right to me. And like my agent thought all of them were pretty stupid and um but she liked the book and so she was like well you gotta you gotta title it eventually and i i came on nobody's ever missing late and it was and it was a, it's a line from a john berryman poem and i i realized that a lot of the books that i liked they would steal their title from somewhere else either it was like you know three words that shakespeare put in that order or it was a line from a poem or something like this and so i was like oh well, i should just steal a line from a poem because nothing is working on this book title wise and so that's how I picked that one. And I, that one felt, I mean, I think, I think Nobody Is Ever Missing is the only time I really came to a title and I was like, oh, that's obviously the title. That was the title the enti entire time. I'm not questioning it. I never think about it ever again. But with the answers, I remember having also a really hard time titling it. And at that point, I had a friend who was a YA author 
And I told him, I was like, I'm having real trouble like titling this book. And he said, and this horrified me. He said, no title, no book. Like, meaning like if I didn't have a title, then I, I just didn't have a book. I didn't have, I didn't know what the book was. And I must not know what I was writing about if I didn't have a title. And I was like terrified by that. Cause I was like all the time I'm writing in something and I don't have a title for it. And then I guess certain American States also was like, a. I feel like it was just a kind of, I just gave up. I was like, well, this story, this will work. Okay, fine. We'll do this one. And then Pew, I felt like obvious. A biography of X felt obvious. And from, but with both of those, they were just, they were the title from the very beginning. But I think, but even with biography of X, sometimes I thought maybe there was a better way to title it because there's something kind of, I'm often, I feel like you just resign yourself to the limits of a title because the book is hundreds of pages long and it's hard to talk about and it's hard to summarize and it's hard to like, say say what it's really about because you wrote a whole book because you had some kind of feeling that only made sense if you could get it into that size and shape but then you have to go back and give it one word to like represent the whole thing and I find that really difficult I find it really unpleasant and like and I think you just sort of give up into a title so yeah or like maybe I'll just have less of a complex about it in the future or like nobody is thinking about it this much people are just like it just becomes a sort of part of the like mood of the book. And it's not, it's not meant to tell you everything, you know? Amina Kane was on the podcast recently and she very similarly described like the, the trouble with titles generally. Um, it sounds like it'd be really daunting, especially cause it's like, you know, attached to you forever sort of, um, or the book forever, I guess. So it's, it's an interesting thing and it sounds difficult. So I think they're all great though. <laughs> so I think you're doing a good oh, job. Thanks. <laughs> And so I want to go into the text some more here. And I want to ask you about something that I found to be really fun was your playing with sources. I'm sure you're going to talk about this a lot during the press cycle of this, but um, I thought it was so fun. I mean, I, I saw some Easter eggs in there and just how you reference real people, even writing in their own voices. I also saw Jackson Howard, who was referenced, uh, became the name of a publisher, which was so fun. So I just wanted to open the floor and just ask you about how you landed on the sources and what you were doing with those, with like the Easter eggs and all that. They were just stuff that I like. Like it was just stuff that I was reading at the time, things that seemed like, like I think when you're writing a novel or at least when I'm writing a novel, I feel I, if it's going well, then I feel like the whole world is a kind of like conspiracy that's bringing me like little pieces of a, of culture or information or whatever that feels like it belongs to the world of, of the novel that I'm writing. And like when, and then I was actively looking for things too. There was like a research that I was doing into different artists that you know, like one thing would lead to another. I'd read about one person and discover a different person I'd never heard of. And and so it was kind of like collecting like a little bower bird, like collecting little bits of things that that seemed to belong to the world of the book um, or that I could alter to 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 fit into the book. And and then it was just really fun. And then like there were lots of because there were just lots of um, all these footnotes and everything, everything needed to be referenced. And I thought it made sense to have, you know, like like a regular biography, maybe there would be footnotes or innotes or whatever. And I decided that the, the footnotes within the text would be fictional, you know, like they would be made up mostly, I mean, real people's names a lot of times, like a lot of, a lot of the people's, a lot of them are my friends or writers that I admire or people I randomly met around the time that I was working on it. And I'd be like, oh, your name works. I'll put your name in here. Some of it's like jokes to friends. But I do this anyway, even when it's not like this overt, I often, I think I just have to feel like, I have to feel like something is personally at stake for me and in, in, in a story and the, like the more that I feel like something is personally at stake, 
the I think the better I tend to write. And so like I'll name characters after, you know, people that I know or like I put in details that make me feel like I'm more a part of the story than I necessarily am or something. Like I mean my there's a picture of my father in the book, there's a picture of my mom in the book. There's like stuff that there's like details about my brother that like are fictionalized that are there for him to find. You know what I mean? Like it's not just Easter eggs that are like culturally situated, but like, I think, yeah, because it was just so much room for like a lots of information and details. I put a lot of them in here. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the photographs because when I initially was looking at the sources after reading the book, I initially didn't see the sources for the illustrations at first. And so I wanted to ask you like, are you, will you ever reveal what it is, but it, it is revealed at the end of the book. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically I wanted to ask you about like that process of your, I guess, creativity with coming up of like with what photographs you wanted to use or commission for the book, um, what that process looked like for you. I think at the beginning, I thought I was going to do a lot. It was going to be a lot more involved because it, it was something I was going to do later. So I was like, it's still in the middle of writing it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do any of the objects until I have the entire text, you know? And so once I had the entire text, then I started doing the objects, but then I realized the text was completely like bad. And so I had to rewrite everything. And so then like, it started to kind of complicate the process of like, when do I hire somebody to make something? Cause I know I'm good. I know I'm going to need this image or I want this image here. And a lot of it, I had like, I like collecting old photographs. And so a lot of those are just old photographs that I found in like, you know, vintage stores and estate sales over the years, or like sometimes that like, you can buy them also in bulk from eBay. Like sometimes people are getting rid of like, 400 vintage photographs of random stuff like $20 you know and I would buy them and so some of it was just that and like slowly finding characters that seemed to sort of like fit and be necessary of course there are lots that I didn't use and there were a lot of things that like I made myself but I think at first I thought that I was going to like I was going to Cindy Sherman the whole thing and I was going to somehow like get like a person to like help me put on prosthetics and like make myself into X in all these different phases and hire photographers. And, and it was just gonna, it got way, in my head, it got way too complicated. And then I realized I don't actually want the photographs to be scrutinized as works of art that I made. I want them to be just like back, like to make sense and sort of not make sense in the same ways that I like always sort of wonder about how do you select photographs for a, bi a real biography, you know? Like sometimes they seem really arbitrary, but because they then are in the book and you look at them, you're looking for some additional information from them or something. And, and so, yeah, I felt like the, the things that did get included, they sort of felt like intuitively right. Or like, would, I would recognize something in the picture that to me seemed like some aspect of, of the character that there's no way I could convey in words, you know? That's what's so interesting about this book too, in terms of you, I guess the fiction of it all, right? So we're, we're talking about a biography of X, who is this very chameleonic presence in the book where she's constantly shifting identities and she's very, I guess, amorphous in her identity and trying and CM trying to pin that down through all of these sources and through her own sort of reflections on the past. And so I'm wondering for you in terms of creating X as a character, how her shifting identity was either a challenge or opened opportunities for you as a novelist to explore your questions or your ideas. I think there's people that do this in more subtle ways. Like, I don't think somebody has to be as extreme as X is in order for like this to be a quality that, that a person will use. Like, yeah, I don't know. I like, without getting like too specific, I feel like there's a type of person that wants, that tries to withhold 
or control information about about themselves or about how they're seen as a way to I don't know what I don't because I don't quite understand people like this because I feel very like I'll tell anybody almost I'll tell almost anyone almost anything you know like I don't really feel like there's that much in a person's life that's truly personal and I think the things that that I do find really personal maybe some people would find completely not personal you know but in general like I I don't feel like very I think I used to feel more shy about sharing certain details of my life. And now like within reason, I'll pretty much tell anyone anything. And so the people that like try and withhold and sort of control a narrative and control how they're seen all the time. I think it's a, it's a tactic to make people actually more interested in them and to make them like mis like being mysterious as a way to sort of draw people in and make it seem like, Oh, we got to figure you out. But often there's really like nothing there except for a person sort of behind the curtains, trying to sort of like pull the, you know, pull the chains to make it seem like there's more going on than there actually is, which also feels really human and like relatable. And, but it's not, I don't know. I guess I'm just saying that like the, the character of X, even though she's very extreme to me, seems like I've met a lot of X's, you know, uh, I've met a lot of people like that. And it, and not because they're like extraordinarily talented and like have overcome insane things like she has, but just that they want to like, there's an impulse to kind of shift identities depending on where you are as a way of like protecting yourself. One thing that it made me think of is Elena Ferrante generally are like trying to, you know, hide your um, identity as a novelist um, or as a writer and being a novelist as your vocation and speaking about your work publicly, um, has that shifted since you initially started publishing novels or I guess how have your ideas maybe changed about it, if at all? Yeah, no, I, I it's completely changed. Like I used to, I remember my first book came out. I really was not prepared for having a book come out. I hadn't really thought much about it. I think my ideas about what was going to happen were really, um, I thought nothing would happen and I would never have to, I thought that I was going to like somehow get away with like it being a secret. And I, and I realized part of the reason that I felt that way was like the, I remember the very first book, the first, my first launch for my first book. I had invited like everybody I knew in New York because I was like excited about it. And I was like, yeah, my book's coming out. This is really like, you know, will never happen again for a first book. So um, I invited lots of, and I had lots of friends in, in New York because I had been living there for a really long time. And and then I, and then Rivka Gauchin said she would do the, the Q&A and I was stoked about that. I really, really, I still admire her, but I, she was a big influence on me at a young age. And the minute I stood up there, I thought I was going to die, not out of like, I was so ashamed. I was actually like, I felt nothing but like just pure unbridled shame that I had done this, that I had made like a book and that it, it was in the world. I felt like it was the most ridiculous thing anyone had ever done. And I felt, I felt really bad. And even like that night it was at book court, which is not there anymore. And they sold out and I felt guilty about that. I felt like I had pulled some kind of stunt you know, like I, well, I was like, well, but I invited all my friends here. Like at least half the people there were people that I knew. And so I felt like I had like, I don't know, like pulled one over or something. And I think like some of that is just, I didn't have any confidence. And I really like, I had confidence when it came to quietly alone writing a book, but I had no confidence when it came to being responsible for that and talking about it. And I think some of that came from that, this idea that like, um, I was wholly responsible for it somehow, where I felt like a lot of it was really out of my control and like the process of writing. And I really felt like a lot of it was just sort of mysterious to me. And I really didn't know how to talk about it. And also I felt guilty that I was somehow getting credit for having written it, even though sometimes it felt like it, I didn't write it. And now I think I understand that it's like, now I have, I'm way less nervous about 
book events or talking about books or being a person that does this for a living, mainly because I don't really feel like I'm totally responsible for anything. And I think like with, with, um, I mean, for the book itself, you know, like I, I woke up and decided to do it, but I was pulling from things and I made, I made like the, you know, the, the reference is very clear in this one, you know, and I think that like, is like not, you know, it's, it's, it's not by accident. And I don't feel like one, I don't feel like, I mean, there's a person that writes a book and then there's like me that has like, you know, a mom and a boyfriend and like, just, you know, life. And I just like go around doing my thing. And those to me are kind of parallel people. I don't feel ownership over it anymore. And so, the, and that's really like given me a chance to be able to like talk about the book and the story as an object and also not be ashamed of it. Cause I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm just a part of this. Like, I'm just like a part of this puzzle doing this thing, you know? And then I also don't feel like I deserve or don't deserve anything. It's just like, it's, it's really like a loosen a lot of the stress, but also a lot of it has been meeting other writers over the years. And you see what happens if you really do believe that you are the originator of the book, people be can become so poisonous and weird and fucked up and badly behaved when they feel like they are the sole originator of this book. And then they can be so disappointed and it's like a personal affront when things don't go the way that they want them to go. So I don't know. I think I'm just, yeah, I, I I don't feel, I really like just don't feel that stressed out about it anymore. I love asking writers about how they kind of perceive the press, you know, tours and talking about their books in public platforms. It seems like it'd be daunting. And even myself as a podcaster, I'm still getting over my like nerves of being able to, you know, adequately tackle a book. Like, what am I doing? Like, who am I <laughs> to like, to do this? But at the same time, I mean, that's an interesting perspective. And going back to, to the novel and thinking about the many characters that are in this biography, um, I wanted to ask you about coming up with their names, uh, very specific, but like Bertha Hertz, I love that name. And it's like a great drag name, in my opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> I just wanted to ask you about the characters here, if you have like a favorite side story or character in the book and anything you want to talk about on that front. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Cindy O, which is like a smaller character that is sort of like invented right before she kind of retires all of them, who writes a few novellas that don't do well in the States, but then the, the rights are sold in Japan and she becomes hugely popular in Japan. I had more involved ideas that I wanted to do with like the fan paraphernalia, because I feel like the Japanese do fan paraphernalia like so brilliantly. Yeah, that character I really liked and I printed, I did print it a couple shirts, a couple t-shirts and I only used one in the book. I think I still used that image. It was kind of a weird image. I printed a few shirts and one of them I posted on Instagram when I was like before the book had sold, I think. And I just put, made a caption like describing the character, but I didn't say that it was a character. I didn't say like, oh, here's an invented character I made from my book and she's her, she's blah, blah, blah. I just said, I just presented it as fact. It was like, oh, this is a t-shirt of Cindy O, oh, this like, you know, completely out of print American author that was hugely popular in Japan. And there's all this paraphernalia, all this, um, you know, Japanese fan fandom stuff about her. And people thought that it was real, you know, like a couple of my friends, I mean, it's like a few years ago and a few, few of my friends were like, cool, I can't find anything about her on the internet. And I was like, yeah, I know. She's like, that's how elusive she is. Yeah, you have to speak Japanese to find anything about her. I kind of like had the hope that later I could write the Cindy O novellas, but I have the titles and I sort of know what they're about, but I don't, I, I have, I don't feel any impulse to actually write them right now. So who knows if I ever will. This idea, I guess, in terms of identity, and one of my favorite quotes from the book is when X is reflecting on RuPaul, who is like one of the few artists that she considers to be like great. I guess she talks about how memory was the most profound drag of all, and I wanted to ask you about 
you know, playing with memory and this idea of trying to reckoning with your past in novel writing, how you explore that when you sit down, you know, every day or whenever you write, or how are you, I guess, thinking through those questions when you're writing? The RuPaul quote, which is a real RuPaul quote. And I just sort of imagine that like, if RuPaul was like given, I don't know, greater, greater freedom or a society that wasn't quite as shitty when she, they, he was coming up, I feel like there's even more like, I don't know, like even like kind of more performative, like excitement and power and freedom that maybe could have been available there. But anyway, RuPaul said, you're born naked, everything else is drag, right? That's the right. quote. And I love, I love that. I love that idea. Everything. I mean, we're, we make a thousand choices. I think that get just sort of baked in and just sort of assume this is just my personality. This is just how I am. This is just the way that I dress. I'm not thinking about it or I'm not like putting myself together today in any particular way. But yeah, everything everything we do is some sort of expression of our personality, of, of, of our identity, like that's meant to like posture and make some kind of statement. And I think like it's memory. I mean, I think, I don't know what X meant, exactly meant by like memory being a drag because I think she probably meant a, a bunch of things that I don't totally understand or I don't presume to like know everything about. But I guess what I see in that is that like, I think the memories that we return to, we end up kind of constructing an identity on purpose. And then we like say, well, like these things happen to me. And I, I, you know, you don't, I don't have a say in like what's happened to me, but we do have a, we do kind of have a say in like what we return to over and over again. And like, yeah, there's an identity that you make out of, out of the way that you construct memory. Because when I went to grad school, everybody wanted to be a long form journalist. Everyone wanted to be writing about other people, all the nonfiction students this was true of. Absolutely none of us did that. We all did personal essay and memoir because nobody had enough time to do reporting and like, and to do, to do any kind of research actually. And so it was just a bunch of, it was two years of me and all my peers very uncomfortably turning in personal essay after personal essay and thinking about memory and thinking about nonfiction versus fiction and blah, 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 blah. And so I think it's, that's a lot of that's like kind of, I've noticed it now like coming up again and again in like what I'm writing in fiction, that memory is a kind of concern, I think, because I have this like basis of two years of talking about nothing but memory and, and how a memoir is inherently fictional and like blah, 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 you know? One thing you just mentioned that I think is really interesting. I'm not sure what my question is, but I, I think it's cool when I hear writers speak about their characters and the sort of knowability of the characters. So in terms of you as the novelist and the cre creator of X, not knowing potentially everything that she understands or the way that she thinks about things. And I, can you talk about that idea of how you as a novelist consider your characters and what you are able to know about them versus what sort of remains a mystery forever, potentially? Yeah, for me, like a character is kind of like a set of a bunch of different ideas or ways of moving through the world or even like physical feelings. Like, I mean, like from the sort of internal space outward, like a, I have like a physical sense that I can attach to different characters when they're important characters at least. And I don't really think of, I don't really think of what they look like. I have no, especially of X, I have no idea what X really looks like because part of her whole project is that she wants to change what she looks like in so many different spaces. And so I don't think about her from the outside I don't think about what's, I have no idea what CM looks like at all. Yeah. And I would say with X, especially because to me, the ideas and traits and sort of memories and whatever that are in my head that I associate with her are like complicated enough 
and like a lot and some of them I think are actually just beyond my understanding completely that like yeah there's no way that I could know like everything that that kind of supercomputer of a of a character space could or possibly produce you know what I mean it's almost like it's almost like AI like I don't really know much about AI so maybe I shouldn't say anything about AI but like it's my understanding that at least some forms of AI are basically constructed or they're just constructed by whatever the input is and you put in enough stuff and I even like I forget what goes in I forget what's in the book like you know like a, a friend that just read it asked me a question about something and I was like what are you talking about like I don't remember everything that's in there you know like not right off the bat because not all of it is equally important <laughs> you know at least to me or like not all of it was equally difficult to come by and so some some of the pieces kind of like fall apart but I would say like there's also a there's also the kind of I think any character, whether it's one I've created or like one I read or something, the reader brings whatever they bring to it. And that's actually an important part of it as well. And I feel like, especially like a reader that's that's really considerate and open-hearted and they're gonna bring their own associations and, and visuals and whatever to it. And I think that's also valid. If you can see and sort of pull something out of it that I didn't intend, I think that's great. And that belongs in the character. You know, so there's, there's a bunch of different ways. It's not like, it's not completely fixed. I don't think that there are like, Mm, you know aside from like the things that I already like put down as story I think that everything everything that's not there is like kind of up for debate and between me between people that read it whomever that's such a refreshing perspective for me because I, I've over the last like two years on being on booktube and trying to like review books on an online platform I've had a lot of like self-reflection on what that means what I'm doing why I'm trying to like I guess smartly or intelligently be able to talk about books. And one of the questions I had for you, there's this brief moment where CM is reflecting on when she was in school, one of, you know, X's novellas is being passed around and they couldn't, they all loved it, but they couldn't remember why they loved it. And one of my questions for you was thinking about like how you, or the difference for you between being a novelist or a writer and then also being a reader and how you think about reading books and thinking about them and I don't know. I don't know what my question is. I guess I just wanted to kind of reflect on how, like myself, I'm trying to open up my ideas about what it means to like think critically about reading and and not being able to, you know, maybe pin down every single thing that a novel is doing in a review or something. I mean, I opt, I want to I want to be able to read as creatively as I write, but then some there's follow periods for both too. So like, there's time where where there's just nothing really to write about, and then I try and get I try and use the part of my day or the part of my brain that I would have spent on writing, reading. And I'm like doing that kind of right now. And it's so fun. It's like to actually, and I, I feel like it's times where I can expand the kind of books that I read or the sort of like things that I'm like, can get into. Yeah, just like reading reading creatively or reading as like, and like to read really actively. I mean, I feel like part of it just comes from doing it. Like I think a lot of people don't know what they like to read because they just don't read enough. And like that, like every single book, it's like they're having to reteach themselves. How do you get into a novel? But the more you know, the more you read, the more I think it's just like, you know, one thing ends up being a gateway drug for like more and more complicated, stranger and stranger sorts of books. So it's just little by little, I think that you like kind of expand the sort of what sort of reader you are. I mean, I do every once in a while write criticism also, and so it does sort of feel like I have to switch into a different register a little bit. But lately I've actually been trying to write criticism, like not forgetting that I'm a novelist and like sort of like just seeing this as like the, the way another novelist solved the problem and sort of 
treating my review almost like a piece of fiction or something um, and trying to create a character that's, <laughs> that's read the book or something like this to give myself freedom to actually like make a statement about it. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that the, that the critics that I really respect approach their criticism that way. So one author that I read last year that I've only read one of her books, um, it's Iris Murdoch. I read A Severed Head. I'm not sure. Have you read her before? I read some short stories a while ago, but I haven't, I haven't read any novels. Okay. I don't think. So maybe this question will flatline, but I wanted to ask you <laughs> if her work influenced this book at all, because there's some of like the, the dramatic oddities that arise in this book, um, like the mistaken identities, characters showing up in certain situations is kind of like, there's like a dark humor that's sort of present in this book, I think. I don't know if that resonates with you as well, but it reminded me of A Severed Head, which I read last year. And so I was going to ask you about that, but maybe you could just speak on, do you consider this to be humorous at all? I always, I think, I, I hope there's some humor in everything. I remember the, one of the very first interviews I ever did for my first book, which I think on the back, the copy said something like a pitch black comedy or something like this. And it's about a woman really having like, she's spiraling out. She's really not having a good time and really nothing happens except that she's troubled. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. I mean, she's moving around the world. Like she's moving on, around on this trip, just sort of getting herself into stupid situations and really kind of awkward social moments. And um, there's some other characters in there that to me are, are were funny. But any, but the first interview I did for that book was this woman, once she asked me if I was mentally well, she was like, have you ever been hospitalized <laughs> or like put on drugs? And I was just like, wow, this woman really thinks that this is my story. And I really didn't feel like it was. And I was like, no, I'm good. And then she was like, well, I just have to tell you, your book is not a comedy. There's like, it says on the back that it's a comedy and it's just not a comedy. And I was like, and nobody, I didn't even think that anybody would challenge me about that, you know? But I was like, it just sort of, I guess it depends on how you define comedy, but I feel like um, I had this like teacher in high school that said, like when you're faced with, I mean, maybe he was quoting somebody else, but when you're faced with the world, you can either laugh or cry and that he was a laugher. And he had this very infectious laugh and he, but he had a very dark sense of humor. And I was like, to me, that's like, that's the survival strategy for being, like approaching the world with open eyes and being able to take in all the like horror and terror and bullshit and madness and just complete, you know, the fear of death and all these things and still like wake up and, and, you know, be happy and like, just be, you know, kind to other people is to find the humor in it. And I think, so if you're that, if you have that kind of approach to what humor is, then I think you can see humor in almost, almost anything. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I hope I hope that there's like some kind of humor in the book. Yeah, um, but no, Iris Murdoch sounds fascinating. I should read Severed Head, the, the Severed Head or a Severed Head. Um, a Severed Head, yeah. Severed Head, okay. Yeah, it's really um, she's interesting. So I read that one book of hers, and then Lauren Euler, another friend of the pod, she was reading a fairly honorable defeat, and she posted just a sentence from it, and I was like, "Is this Iris Murdoch?" And she was like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "That's so interesting." I read one book, and I could kind of identify what she's well, doing in her ooh, works. That's really compelling. That's really compelling. I want to read that one for sure. So I guess before I go into book recommendation questions, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Southern Territory. Was that the most challenging part of writing this book was creating an altered history or was something else potentially more challenging for you? I think actually the like the altered history stuff was sort of like, it's kind of like one thing led to another. And also like it was a chance for me to like, take books that I had been reading about um, 
I was living in, I don't can't remember if I just said this to you or an early interview, but I was living in Berlin for a little while and I was reading about East and West Berlin and then also North and South. I think I did say this in, like 15 minutes ago to you, <laughs> not in a different interview, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was like somewhere to put all the reading that I was doing about those, like, how did it come to be? How did this country end up being split by a wall? And like, what is it, what is it like on either side of this? You know, and like, I, like, it was somewhere to put all the fascinating stories and things that I had been reading there in, in some of those books and those histories. But I think I remember like when I was writing those sections being mainly reading nonfiction and there's a way in which like, I had to go back and kind of interrupt some of this in the, like I did this one draft of the book that was completely shit. And then I had to like totally throw it out and sort of um, rewrite it with a totally different frame of reference. And uh, a big problem of the original one was that it like le it became too much like a nonfiction book. It was leaning too heavily on the like assumption that the reader would trust that all this had happened. Where you know, with the with a novel, you have to convince the reader of everything. You don't. There's no gimme. Even if you're using real character, real you know Susan Sontag's in the book or something like that. I don't I can't assume that you know who Susan Sontag is or have any associations with her. You still have to find a way to represent her. Use her words. Use her image or whatever in a way that gestures to a, a new character called Susan Sontag, not actually Susan Sontag, you know? Um, like the, it has to be scrutable to the reader that's never heard of this person. Um, so yeah. So uh, yeah, okay, the world building stuff. I mean, it was, it was kind of a challenge to figure out how do you make that not boring and how do you get the information across without it being boring? Um, and I don't know if I, some people will say it's boring. So I don't know, I guess I can never say that I solved, but I solved it adequately for me, I think by just having the, having CM be more a character in the book. And so it could be about her discovery of something. I think I allowed like maybe five or six pages of like straight history to happen in the book. And it feels a little bit like a cheap trick, <laughs> you know? Um, and you want, you want a novel to to do like more than one thing at once. Whereas I feel like you want, a work of nonfiction to be very direct and clear about it's what what it's doing to do the one thing, you know, and to and to see it happening, and you want to be able to see all the parts moving. But in a novel, I feel like you want, I feel like I as a reader want the novel to be doing more than one thing, and for me not to know how any any of these things are are being done. I don't want to see the mechanism too clearly, you know. Yeah, and it makes me think about going back to Pew again. I mean, I think they're really interesting books to read together potentially because I mean, in Pew a lot of the, I guess, specific information is not really told to the reader, which is definitely a part of how it's told. But then, you know, versus this, there's a lot of, you know, history that's being explored, of course, fictional. But I think it's an interesting way that you kind of, in two different novels, back to back, explore similar things in much different ways. And I'm, um, so I guess the last question before we go into book recommendations is, is there anything that you took from this book that you plan to explore in future fiction writing that you care to talk about today? Or yeah, usually I... I have been writing a book at all times, like really at all times ever for like 10 years, more than 10 years and yeah, like 12 or 13 years. And now I'm not writing, a, I'm not writing a book or I'm not writing a novel anyway. And um, I think also like, I, I'll usually like, there'll be some little piece or some aspect of the last book that like then I had to do something. I, I wasn't, I'm not done with it. It's like the book, that book is done, but there's just one little piece of it. I'm not done with it. And I have to keep working somehow. And there wasn't anything like that in, in this one, or I, it just didn't, it just didn't happen that way. 
this time. And yeah, so I'm not, I'm not really writing another novel right now. And I even kind of feel, I mean, like, this is a bit dramatic, but like, I kind of feel like maybe I'm not going to write another novel for a long time. And uh, I don't know, I'll write other stuff. It's fine. But like, I kind of wore myself out a little bit. I think I'm done. I think I'm done for a minute. And it feels kind of nice. It's, yeah, it's the first time I'm not writing a book. And I'm like, wow, it's like, it's a nice life not writing a book. I think I'll try this for a little while. No, that, yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, it seems like I, I started this podcast in part because I think it's, you know, a feat of magic being able to write something like this. Like I just, in my brain, it's so hard to conceptualize what that actually would look like on a daily basis writing something, you know, selfishly, I would love, I want you to keep writing novels, but I totally oh, understand. <laughs> I'm sure I will later. I'm just being, I'm, I'm being a little bit dramatic about it, but it, but it, I'm just so shocked that I'm not already writing something. It's usually at this point, I'm deep in another book, you know, in terms of you not writing, I have to ask what you're reading. So do you have anything recently that you've really enjoyed or anything coming out this year that you're excited to pick up soon? I just, well, okay, I'm right now I'm, I'm in a friend's apartment and I, I get to be here for like a month. And so I'm just reading through their library because I don't, it's like, what do you have? What are you reading? And so I've just been like pulling books and like some that I had wanted to read anyway. I read this book called, um, I think it's called Beginners. I don't think it's called The Beginners, but it's by Anne Sayre. She's a French writer. Um, and uh, with an E and then Sarah, S-E-R-R-E. -R -R -E. um, and I thought it was just, I immediately like put it on the syllabus of the class that I'm teaching right now. Um, and uh, I just, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's kind of a love story, but I, to me in a certain way, it's not a love story at all. And um, I don't know if I can say much more about it other than that. Yeah, just the tone of it was really remarkable and I really couldn't put it down. Um, I'm also reading um, Alejandro Zambra's Chilean Poet right now, which I had been like putting off. I think I've read almost everything he's written, everything that's been translated. Um, and yeah, so it's just like, it's a delight. And I love like getting back into his world. Um, I just read a little while ago, a book by John Ray called, oh fuck, what's the title? It's, uh, but I can see it. I can see the font. It's about, it's about metal bands in like, the eighties and nineties. And it's amazing. It's like, it's a real, it's a real, like, it's also a real page turner, but just like really actually about relationships. I know it starts with like a, a G or something. It's coming out Gone soon, right? Gone to the wolves. That's what it is. It's like, I, the, the cover is completely imprinted in my mind. It's like metallic, uh, silver and, and black. And, uh, anyway, but, Unfortunately, the cover has completely taken the, the, the space in my brain of the actual title in, in English. Yeah, that one was great. Mm, what? Oh, oh, fuck. Heidi Julevitz has this book coming out in June. That's a, it's a memoir that I tore through. Um, and it is called Directions to Myself. It's, a, it's beautiful. It's kind of like a companion a little bit to The Folded Clock, which came out like a, five years ago. I don't know if she would think of it as a companion to that, but I kind of do. There is a book, wait, I'm going to hold it up. I haven't started this yet, but I'm excited because this is like my, like, uh, we've shared, we've shared a couple of really important teachers and, and we're friends, but um, Kash Kabushani's I Will Greet This Son Again. And I'm stoked about it because I'm just, he's a wonderful writer and it's his debut book and a bunch of people are very excited about it. And I've read other stuff that he's written. And anyway, I'm excited about that one. What else is up? What else is going on book-wise? 
oh the deborah levy trilogy i just finished but i finished it in reverse i think i read real estate first which is probably the last one and then the title of the second one i can't remember and then the first one which is called things i don't want to know i just read things i don't want to know so that was weird because it was like it it's her it was like her childhood you know like it's her, this is like a, a series that she's calling a living autobiography um and it's basically it's basically just kind of the exact kind of memoir that i love that sort of it seems like as organic as a plant you know it's just sort of like meandering and finding its way it doesn't feel like very sculpted even though obviously it is but um real estate i think was my favorite of the three but this one was great too and it, it's all about her childhood in south africa um mostly about that that's a solid i don't know how many five or six books wasn't it yeah i love it i mean so i guess last thing there too i think she has a new novel coming out in like june are you familiar with it yeah no, I haven't. I, I, I'm completely ignorant of her fiction. I'm just like a huge fan of her nonfiction and I haven't, I haven't gotten to the fiction yet. Gotcha. I think it's called August Blue. I think it comes out in June. I could be wrong. Um, but then also just to quickly mention the, the beginners, it's the one with like the two abstract people like hugging on the cover. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's, I think it's two directions. Yeah. I had it from the library last year and I never read it and now I'm bummed, but I'll have to go back and grab it because <laughs> <laughs> really I had it for a while. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I. I. Well. I. I wonder what you make of it. And I. I feel like I. What was weird was that I was. I was. Um. I was in Mexico City because I was there for like half of last year, and a friend was coming through just like a few weeks ago, and we just happened to overlap. It's like I haven't seen her much in many years, and we like we had this one night where it's like okay we can like catch up, and so we were sat down we we're catching up, and it was just like one of those times where you're like you have so much stuff to go over, you know. And she brought up that book. It was sort of like in a part of our conversation and I was like, I hadn't heard of it. And I was like, cool, I'll look it up the minute I get back to the States, which was like, I was flying back the next day. And then I come here staying at my friend's place. And it's one of the very first books that I come across in her bookshelf. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna read this immediately. Cause it's like a friend tells you, you've never heard of it. And the next day you like find it, copy. Um, and so I immediately read it and it was like, you know, exactly the right thing and exactly the right moment for me. But, but I feel like there's something really interesting about the construction of it. And I was shocked a couple times, even though like it's very soft. <laughs> it's not sort of like shocking, like plot twist sort of book. Catherine, just thank you so much for joining me today. I've I did yeah. a deep dive into your work over the summer and then this came to me. And so I've just been oh. hoping that this could happen. And so it, it did. And I'm so happy about it. So yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.